0: In worship, we have the opportunity to both sing our praises to God and proclaim our praises to God using the Apostles' Creed. Please remain standing as we say the words on the screen, together in unison, answering the question, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, as conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life life everlasting. Please be seated.
1: Good morning, church. Good morning, church. So uh, I ask you to shift for just a moment from the children surrounding you to the children in Iran. Uh, And I greet you as a elder and covenant partner of this church, but also as a board member of the Pars Theological Center in London. There's a wind in the house of Islam. If I mention Iran, what do you think of? If you're my age, you think of the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Uh, more recently, you remember on TV chance of death to America or that they're the exporter of terrorism. But what would you know if I told you right now that Iran is the country with the fastest growing Christian population in the world? There's a wind in the House of Islam. At the time of the Shah's fall in Iran, just a generation ago in 1979, there were less than 500 Muslim con- converts to Christianity. Presently, those the estimates of that uh, group are over one million. In fact, in the last 40 years, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ than in the 1,400 years since Muhammad. Christ is reaching Muslims individually through dreams and visions, something our Presbyterians have a hard time understanding, electronically through satellite TV and the internet, and relationally through a huge network of underground churches. All this is happening with no church buildings and no ministers. All the churches that served Muslims were closed and their ministers have either been martyred or exiled. So all this growth is happening through relational ministries by young leaders of incredible faith and persistence who unfortunately serve with little biblical training. Their faith is a mile wide but an inch deep. This is where PARS Theological Center comes in. Established by an Iranian minister and theologian, exiled to London, PARS is providing seminary education and counseling online uh, to the church leaders in Iran. PARS also organizes training conferences in Turkey where these Iranian students clandestinely come out of the country for a week of intensive biblical training and lectures. A few years ago, Teresa and I, along with Chuck and Ann Bunn, were privileged to join in on a visioning trip for ECO with this partnership in PARS. Our lives will never be the same. In London, we met with the professors and leaders of PARS and saw their uh, taping centers and, and how they, how they conducted this ministry, this seminary ministry. We also met some leaders of the underground church that had been exiled, but were still able to, to help the churches there uh, online and the internet. While in Turkey, we were able to meet Iranian refugees and visiting Iranians studying with PARS. We heard numerous harrowing stories about innocent believers being jailed for their beliefs. The Ayatollah sees Christianity as a, as a huge issue and problem. Our group was mesmerized by Iranian students we met in Istanbul. Their stories of faith and perseverance were humbling and inspiring. Many had lost everything when they were imprisoned and were mentally tortured. And despite, despite these hardships, they continued with their faith and refused to go back to Islam. We can think of few greater privileges than helping even more Iranians discover the love of Christ and watching them become free from this cruel, dark bondage of the Ayatollah's Islamic Revolution. Pars is confident that the Republic will fail and fall, and we've seen some indications of that in the last year with uh, the riots and protests. It was life-changing for us to be in fellowship with these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. We're praying that more Americans, and specifically more members of this congregation, will come to realize the importance of serving and encouraging and further equipping this new and exciting underground church in Iran. You have leaflets about PAR's dynamic ministry and how you can help support them in prayer or financially. And if you'd like to learn more, I'd love for you to come after the 11 o'clock service for a lunch presentation in the Geneva room where you'll get to hear from the founder of this ministry. In conclusion, I'll repeat the words that first grabbed a hold of us when we, they were spoken to us by a PARS representative at an eco gathering several years ago regarding this wind in the house of Islam. God is doing an amazing thing in Iran and the greater Islamic world. He will accomplish it with or without you. You should at least be praying, but don't you want to join him? Thank you.
0: At this time, those who are seated on the aisles, please take the friendship pad and sign your name and pass them down the row. Let us know you are here worshiping with us today. If there is someone new in your row, take a moment at the end of the service to introduce yourself and say hello to those in the worship. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it in it, in the Lord and all who live in it. Everything we have, our time, our talent, and our treasure, all come from the Lord. We are. Invited to our tithes and offerings for our glory for God's glory out of gratitude, for he has all given it to us. At this time would the ushers please come forward and collect his titles and offerings.
2: Slows me this I
3: reality of your steadfast love for us that is revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ we thank you for showing us your love that while we were still sinners Christ died for us we thank you for continuing to display your love and giving us the freedom, the opportunity to confess our sins to agree with you that we've walked outside of your bounds, that we've loved things in this world more than we've loved you and we have not loved our neighbors ourselves, thank you for the continued promise that in christ we can not only be forgiven but receive cleansing from our sins hear us now as we silently and individually offer to you in worship individual prayers of confession lord we thank you that you hear our prayers and that you show us continuing the love that you give us through the person and work of jesus we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to see and to share your love in this world thank you for our children and in children's ministry at our church and for the ways that your love is abounding in and through all you're doing down there we continue to pray that you bless it and keep it we know lord we need laborers to to help serve as more families are fruitful uh, more children are down there we pray that you'd raise up uh, leaders and teachers that would Um, volunteer, even if it's just one Sunday every two months, Uh, Lord, would you please put it on people's heart to participate in your work in loving and discipling our children. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we get to participate in your work and showing your love and building the church through the ministry of PARS. We thank you for the partnership that we have for them, with them, and we thank you for the ways that you're using them. We do pray that you would stir hearts in our congregation, that we would not only want to know you more and what you're doing in Iran and with Iranian diaspora around the world, uh, but also, Lord, just your work among the nations, that we would know you more fully and that you would spur us to participate in what you're doing. We praise you and thank you for PARs and their team, and we ask that you bless them and keep them. And Lord, here in San Antonio, as we seek to serve you in our homes, with our neighbors and our neighborhoods. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be pleased to give fruitfulness in our life and our love for you. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, secured us in your love as your children, and we pray now that you'd hear us pray as you taught us to pray, as your disciples, saying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen
4: good Good morning my name is maddie and i am in fifth grade this morning's scripture is from 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. as it is, God arranged the members in the, bo- in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now please join me in the call and response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field.
3: Isn't it a joy to be led in worship by our children? Yeah, it's fun. Thank y'all so much. Great job. Great job. And Ben, you did a good job too, buddy. Uh, Please open your Bibles. We're gonna walk through this passage together or open your phones if you don't have um, uh, a Bible. Uh, We are continuing our series on the Gospel Solution. Uh, and today we're just going to see how, how love rules, frankly. Uh, last week we uh, dissected and discerned what our primary connections are, our primary connections in our culture that, that can lead to ruin. And the invitation of the gospel to have our primary connection uh, be with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that leading to not only redemption, but really restoration and abundant life. It's through connecting with Christ uh, that our hearts experience all that we truly hunger for. Today, as we continue, we see that that primary connection with Christ necessitates that we have a primary community in the body of Christ. Uh, The body of Christ is a place where we are secure enough to discover the way God has divinely designed us, the gifts He's given us, to develop those, and to be deployed in service of Him, to Him, and for Him. In that, we will find the, the community that we long for and the purpose. That we're seeking. The problem in Corinth was pretty simple. The Corinthian Christians were prioritizing uh, different spiritual gifts more than others. Uh, They were elevating certain people more than others. This is is exactly how the uh, pagan idol worship happened in the Corinthian context. We'll talk about that just a little bit. But it led inside the body of Christ, the church, to divisions. There was discouragement for people of Christ today, for the church today. uh, We are becoming more and more disconnected and divided for other reasons. And it's actually contributing, I'd say catalyzing the exponential rise in our culture of loneliness, depression, anxiety, and a sense of purposelessness. So the solution, the the personal love that God has shown us is a a personal invitation to you and to me through the gospel to, to love the body, to love the body of Christ, earnestly desiring to use the gifts that he's given you by his grace to build up his spirit baptized body and through that to love this world. Now, This section is another long section in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the first letter that we have. Uh, It goes all the way from chapter 11 to the end of chapter 14. And it all has the same focus. It is orderly worship, orderly life in and among the people of God. And when, in Corinth, when they were living as the culture uh, more than the kingdom, uh, responding to the ground of their identity in the city, more than the ground of God's grace in the gospel, and finding that as a primary Id- uh, identity internally, it led to division and discouragement. Today we're going to see that there is real unity in diversity. And that's opportunity for you and me. But the larger context, if we go all the way to 1440, uh, we would see Paul put just a cherry on top of his argument that the focus is orderly life among ourselves. That's an ordered love, ordered hearts for an ordered life. And the centerpiece of this argument is what we're going to look at next week. First Corinthians 13, that love is the more excellent way. So it was universally understood in the ancient world, that's the fabric that was the Corinthian community, um, that if people were closer to God or the gods, then they had special gifts. So it was just a, a misunderstanding of connecting to the divine uh, to, to, to the larger transcendent reality uh, that is the spiritual realm of our world, and they truly believed that that people were more special if they had certain specific gifts and they would elevate those people in the community and that was happening in the church, and it it led to uh, what was a hierarchy, an unhealthy, unbiblical hierarchy of people in Corinth. Now, here's the truth for the church, just generally about spiritual gifts before we dive into the passage. God gives spiritual gifts to everybody who's a Christian. So if you're in Christ, the Bible teaches in Ephesians 4 that when Christ resurrected through his spirit, he gave gifts to the church. There are different lists of gifts throughout the New Testament, primarily in Romans chapter 12, passage we're going to look at today, 1 Peter 4, but not all the gifts are listed in lists, okay? Now, there are 19 total gifts that are listed, 25, uh, if, 26 if you include the fruit of the Spirit. They're representative. Nobody has all of these gifts, okay? But everybody has some of these gifts, and there's a large misunderstanding of what spiritual gifts are in the church. I want to show you really quick before we dive into the passage. Vern Poitras has a great diagram of understanding how uh, to think about the variety of spiritual gifts. First of all, Jesus Christ is the only person that has messianic gifts. He has all the gifts. He is God himself, fully human, fully God. Secondly, there's a whole category of spiritual gifts that we discover when we read the book of Acts and we see in past tense in places like Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, that are apostolic gifts. These gifts were given to the apostles to confirm their authority as God's messengers and to confirm the authority of God's word through them. Third, there are special offices in the church. These are uh, elders, these are deacons, these are certain officers of teachers and preachers that have unique gifts for those offices. And finally, everybody has uh, the prophetic, kingly and priestly gifts through Christ that are general for every believer. Those are categories, a one in your mind, not so much for this sermon, but as you go from here and learn more about who God has made you to be, all right? So, uh, let, before we get too far down that road, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Are you ready? You have your Bibles open still? Let's do it, okay? We're going to avoid controversial topics, get that triangle off the screen, and put a car up there if you don't mind. Uh, we're going to talk about building up the body. Now, the, the parts of the body, in Paul's uh, analogy, the human body, where well, we're going to unpack it more, but I think it, it's helpful to understand that the parts of a car. Now, you see that car, that's a car body, it's a burned out body frame, and you see behind it on the left, you can't really see it, those are engine parts, and behind it on the right are other parts of the body. The parts of that car are totally strewn about this, well, they're a little bit organized, but they're separated And they look totally unused. Now, do you know what kind of car that is? Who does? What is it? It is a Ferrari. My man. It is not just any Ferrari. It is the uh, 500 Ferrari Mondial. I got to say that Italian. I can't, what? What? Mondial. It's a 1954 model. Those parts right there look totally useless to you and me, not to Ed Moore. All right, no relation, Mitchell Moore. I'm sure we're related somewhere, right? You know how much those parts were auctioned off for and bought for? $1.8 million. Because somebody that understands that kind of Ferrari knows the value of it. It can see it be put back together. And here's what it looked like when it was all together. They made like single digits of these and somebody decided it was worth a fortune to buy, to clean up, to reassemble, to reconnect so that it can restore its original purpose. You see, Paul doesn't use the image of a car. They didn't exist yet. They didn't use wagons. He didn't do that either because none of those were worth $1.8 million, I assure you. He uses the image of a body And I'm telling you, the body of Christ is far more valuable than that car right there. And here's the deal. In our autonomous American culture, we prioritize an individuality. And we're missing the opportunity that that God's grace gives us. Now, the first thing we want to see as we unpack this passage, is there's actually unity and diversity found in Christ. Unity and diversity found in Christ. Now, I hope you have your Bibles open because we're going to run through this thing as fast as a Ferrari does down the track, okay? So I need you to lick your fingers. We're going to be looking at stuff and pay attention. So there's unity and plurality, but there is not uniformity. You see, the gospel doesn't remove your individuality. It actually enhances you to become more of who God made you to be so that you can be primarily connected to him. And really discover your divine design in him, in his body. All right? Now look at verse 4 to 7 of chapter uh, 12. We didn't read it, but look at this. There's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in all. You see the diversity and the unity there? There's a variety of gifts. uh, There's a variety of services. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same spirit. The same Lord Jesus and same God the Father. So not only is he acknowledging that the diversity of gifts and the roles that are in those gifts, but the diversity that's within the Godhead. And it's significant that we understand that we worship a God who is one in three and three in one. One God with three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in his diversity, there is intense unity. And just like we're created in his image and and we have to have a diversity and a unity that is in relationship, God's image bearers are male and female. So too in the church, the body of Christ, there's an intense unity with one Lord, one spirit, one God, whose love makes our life in Christ possible and our unity in him. But he goes on with the unity and diversity. Uh, And uh, and I'm just going to sprint through this. Hope you're buckled up in your Ferrari of study. Here we go. Verse uh, 8 to 10, again, we did not read it. He talks about how one gift is given to many. And if you look at those three verses, you see that there is a gift given to one and to another, according to the same spirit, another by faith, the same spirit, another gift of healing and hope and works of miracles and prophecy and another and to another, there's this six times. Another, one another, another, another is emphasized, but it climaxes with all by one spirit. For one body, and when we get to verse fourteen, it's crystallized. For body does not consist of one member, but many. There's one one unity, but many parts. There is diversity. In verse 13, what does that diversity look like? Well, in Corinth, it was Jews and Greeks. It was uh, historically the people of God and and pagans that had come to Christ. They were slaves, they're free. Different ethnicities, different socioeconomic classes. There was diversity, but in Christ, there was unity. The feet and the hands, these, these appendages that Paul mentions, are representative of the different body parts. The, the eyes and the ears that Paul mentions, the sensory organs, they're different and unique, but they're all part of the same body. A single member, individual, is, finds its highest and best purpose when it's connected to the body. There are, verse 20, many parts, yet one body. And these are so intimately connected In the body of Christ, by design, I want to just read to you verses 25 to 26, and I hope that you look at it with me. Paul says, There should be no division in the body, but that the members must have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, In our world, historically, there is such a thing as bad unity. There is unity that harms you. There is unity that harms our world. And this is from the beginning. We can go back to Genesis 11. We see the Tower of Babel. That was bad unity. They unified around making their own name great. They unified around technology and using it to to build a tower to reach the heavens. They unified around their own kingdom in opposition to direct design of God. Now, we can't identify with that at all as a culture, can we? Yeah, it's like we're describing our day. But the good unity, the restorative unity, the renewing unity that that gives you that which your heart is hungering for in community and the purpose that you're longing for, that comes in a primary connection to Christ and having His primary community be His body. All right. And it's rooted in the unity of God, the Father's love for you, Christ's work on your behalf, and the Spirit's power. Now, the second of two points is this, that there is connectivity and purpose that's found in the body of Christ. Now, Paul is using, when he uses the body analogy, he's actually using something that that connects with the Corinthian pagan context. They worshiped different gods that were thought to bring healing and wholeness to different parts of the body. And he's connecting contextually so that he can make a point spiritually. And he uses uh, uh, the, the human body as something that we can all identify with because we have one. And just practically speaking with the human body, do you know, that this is like a car part can survive a long time being separated from other cars, right? But a body part, if you lost your finger, uh, if, I don't know if you've ever read Bill Bryson's book on the body. It's, it's awesome. It's phenomenal. But I'm going to give you a couple of stats from this. All right. That if you lost your finger, if you keep it in a warm environment, it'll last up to 12 hours. So if your finger gets severed off, make sure you refrigerate it because it can last up to four days if it's cold. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but it can't survive on its own. In fact, no body part can endure being separated from the rest of the body. Um, there are studies or research that's been done uh, that when a human, a part of the human body has been severed, it has actually lasted uh, several days, um, but none of them last forever. We think clearly with this when we think about an ear or a finger or a toe or something like that, but we think practically our our understanding of the human body is a little more developed uh, than it was for Paul system-wise. Like we can't do anything without the skeletal system. We can't do anything without the endocrine system, the circulatory system, the respiratory system. Like we can't exist as a human body without one of those systems. And so the necessity of all that coming together to be one for the abundant life that we're designed for. It's important that Paul uses this illustration but there's some more important that you understand at least a few gospel realities that come from this. First of all, you need to realize this, that primary connection to Christ, it actually frees you for deeper connection with one another, with his body. Now, if you look at verses 15 and 16, he says this, if the foot says, uh, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Listen, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Second, if the ear should say, but I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. Here's the, here's what you need to know. Even if, if you're in Christ and that's your primary connection and you say, well, I'm not a part of the body. You're deceiving yourself. You are a part of the body. Just because a hand says, well, I'm not a part of the body. It's, just, it's yes, you are. And you're going to work better when you realize it. Okay? In Christ, We have a primary connection with him for life. And we need to learn that spiritually, organically, we're united with one another. We have to live it. We have to embrace it. And whatever is hindering in your heart, whatever that hurdle is in your heart that is trying to make you live separated from the body, you need to get over it and embrace God's design for you because it's beautiful. Second, The reality of the primary purpose that's offered to you in discovering and developing how God has designed you. Now, with the first one, if you want to know, well, how can I be a part of the body? I don't know. Look at your bulletin and you see way too many places for us to connect. If you say, well, how can I find and discover my spiritual giftings? How can I do that? Ephesians, I mean, uh, 1 Peter 4.10 says that God's grace has gifted all of you. We want to invite you to take what we call the shape test where you can discover your spiritual gifts and we'll help you find ways to deploy them in your small groups, in your Sunday school classes, on your teams, in our church, through various places to worship. We long uh, or just worship God through connecting with one another. We long to do that. And the reality is that your best purpose is found when you discover how God has wired you and you develop and deploy those in his body first. And then through here's the third reality connection with Christ's body is actually the remedy of what your heart is hungering for. Okay. There's two realities that are existing simultaneously as we're in here today. The first reality is this, we're in the midst of the largest known rise of loneliness in our country, the highest levels of anxiety and depression, are happening right now. Now, there are secular studies. I could I have shown you uh, the Pew data polls. I've shown you stuff from Gallup and how it's shown that there is actually a, a lower level of depression, a lower level of anxiety, a higher sense of connectivity with people who are participating in religious communities. That's just social science fact. That's happening though right now. The second thing that's happening right now we're in the midst or on the, uh, hopefully on the tail end of what is the largest religious movement in our country. It's the de-churching movement. Since the mid 1990s, more than 40 million people have stopped going to church. And the data that is given in this uh, uh, study, it's worth reading uh, in the great de-churching the book. And uh, there's lots of great podcasts and many of you have sent them to me lately. Um, Like there's lots of different categories of why people stopped going to church. One of them, a quarter of them, almost over 9 million people stopped going to church in the last two and a half decades. Why? They just did. They just stopped going. They moved, became inconvenient, life became busy, realized like uh, during COVID that Sunday mornings were nice, right? Uh, They just stopped going. And I was uh, praying about this the other day and thinking about it, um, they stopped going. And here, I got to say this about that quarter. If they're invited back, they would come. That's what all the data says. It's really wild. So nine, over 9 million of the 40 million of left church. So I'm, I'm riding in an Uber this week. Are you ready for this? I was praying about this this week, thinking about it, I'm riding in an Uber and I'm riding with this, this guy driving me and uh, he's listening to Caleb. And I said, oh, great. I'm always looking for ways. You know, I'm paying these guys to drive me. So I'm going to share Jesus one way or another. You know, it's like a fish in a barrel. And I'm riding and I said, oh yeah, we're talking a little bit. And I say, so are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. I said, where do you go to church? He goes, I don't go to church anymore. I was like, really? Why? It was like he was reading the results of the survey. I don't know, it just stopped. You just stopped going to church. Turns out this guy's, uh, this guy's kids go to a Christian school and, he and his, they just stopped going to church. Inconvenient, didn't want to go, right? And he—he uh, turns out he's an electrician. We're talking to him all this about this stuff. And he says, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm an electrician too. He goes, really? I said, yeah, just a different kind. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm the kind of electrician that wants to make sure people are plugged in to the power of God. He goes, what? So I explained to him a lot of what we're talking about. And it turns out, you know, being plugged into the Holy Spirit, being plugged into his body, the life that we're designed to live so that we can really flourish. And it turns out he actually had some things in his heart that were really a burden. So by the end of this Uber ride, I was able to pray for him and encourage him. And I prayed this morning that Keith would go to the church that he hasn't been to in over nine years right? I, he said he was going to go. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? But here's my point. Uh, the, 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 the church, the body of Christ is actually the solution. It's the remedy for the depression, the anxiety. Now it doesn't cure all depression. It doesn't cure all anxiety. I'm not saying it's a magic bullet. I am saying that we're wired for community. And you know it in your heart, the autonomy you're trying to live with is not leading to the restoration you long for. And the invitation of grace is come, get plugged back in to the body of Christ. Nobody's perfect. Having you come is just going to make it more unperfect. That's why we have the gospel, so we can learn and love and grow together. And this, the fourth reality you have to see is that there is an enemy that wants you to think you don't need the church. There is an enemy that wants to lead a division. There is an enemy that wants to derail God's design. There is an enemy that wants to disconnect you and wants to discourage you. That is just baseline fact. And if you don't realize you are battling in a spiritual war and you might be losing because you're totally deceived, not believing that there is an enemy that wants you unplugged, you gotta wake up. And the good news of the gospel is the fifth reality. That fifth reality is that our triune God guarantees, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that the realities of his divine design are true, not just for you, but among his people. And he will guide us through his character, three in one, one in three, and through the integrity of his work. Because God's love through Christ gives us ground whereby we can wake up to who he's called us to be and to plug in to the body of Christ for unity. It's what your heart hungers for, a primary community that's unconditional, centered on unconditional love. And we need that unconditional love personally so we can share it corporately. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, a powerful invitation that you give us in the gospel, the solution to what our hearts truly hunger for. Lord, I know... There are people in here uh, who long to get plugged in, who long to discover their divine design, uh, who long, Lord, to be re in a way that is redemptive and restorative. Uh, Lord, I pray against all the lies of the enemy, all the ways that the enemy has des- desired to discourage, to divide, and disconnect people from your body. And I pray that the power of who you are, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and what you've done uh, will not only bring restoration to our hearts, but restoration to this FPC family. That we might be one as you are one. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.